Well, if you're going to get your GED in Christianity, you're going to have to know how to tell people the gospel and when to speak up and when not to. And so in our Big Questions of Life series here today, we're talking about should I speak about the gospel often and should I speak about it with intensity and how does a Christian handle such things? So you have to realize that we live in an unusual age. You might say there's a new sheriff in town. Consider this, in a span of about 20 years, a lot has happened in America. On September 21, September 1996, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act, easily passed. It was signed into law by the president, and that was that. We come now to June 16, 2015, so not quite 20 years later, and the Supreme Court commands that all states recognize same-sex marriage. So in 1996... Marriage is legally defined as one man and one woman joined together legally. That's marriage. And 20 years later, not quite, we have the Supreme Court saying, no, that's not the way it is. Now there will be same-sex marriage, and every state has to recognize it. Well, that means that since 2015, that's a very important date. Since 2015, Christianity has been officially now regarded as inappropriate and contrary to civil rights. Since 2015, Christianity is officially out of step with the New World Order. Officially a threat to public good. Borderline illegal when it comes to certain hiring practices, uh, schools admitting students or not admitting students, hiring teachers or not hiring teachers. Um, We have been in court cases already about this, and there will be more court cases coming. And since 2015, deserving, uh, the idea is that biblical Christianity deserves to have negative career and social impact consequences. So you realize that since 2015, there's a new sheriff in town and Christianity is under fire. It's a very unusual thing because we've never really been in this position. And again, just thinking back to 1996, we clearly were in a different world. And now suddenly we are the odd men out and we are against love and kindness and civil rights. So it seems. And so we have to now use more wisdom perhaps than ever before in our Christian witness. Today we want to talk about speaking the gospel often and with intensity. But we have three big ideas. We want to always be pleasant. As pleasant and helpful as possible so that Christianity is more attractive to our detractors. We also want to probe constantly for polite opportunities to bring up the gospel and to speak about it. And we want to be convinced that it is our job only to bring each person as far as we can. And that might not be all the way to the faith. We'll bring each one as far as we can and use the methods God has given us to do that. Let's talk about being always pleasant. That is is important and perhaps today more important than at any other time. In Philippians 2.14, we are commanded here, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless. It's hard to achieve that. Blameless. Nobody can blame me for anything. Harmless. I have injured nobody. That's a pretty high standard, but it's a command. So do all things without murmurings and disputings. And you notice there we're not going to dispute with people. We're not going to be arguers. We're going to do all things without murmurings and disputing so that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, and here is, without rebuke. Uh, Nobody can honestly accuse me of any wrongdoing without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, 
We live in a hostile culture since 2015. It is officially, legally hostile toward our position. You live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding forth the word of life. So our duty as followers of Jesus is to shine as lights in the world and hold forth the word of life. It's what we do as Christians. In 1 Corinthians 9.19, we get another really good example in Scripture of how to be pleasant and how to uh, disarm people who already have a negative view of us. In 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all men, the Apostle Paul says, yet I have made myself servant unto all. See, we're going to be pleasant and helpful. It's what Christians must do if we're going to bring the gospel forward. I'm free from everyone, yet I'm going to make myself a servant to everyone so that I might gain the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Oh, you're interested in Jewish things. Well, let's talk about holidays. Let's talk about food, Passover, those kinds of things. To the Jew, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, same thing as if I'm under the law. Oh, isn't it great what the book of Leviticus says about uh, uh, kindness, even toward animals? So to those who are under the law, I talked about things that were under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, oh, you know nothing about Jewish practices, do you? Well, let's talk about Gentile practices then. For example, how about those Olympic games where the athletes work so hard? You know, to those who are without law, I speak as if I am without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Of course, I'm following Christ. I'm I'm not being uh, obnoxious or obscene. To the weak, I became as weak. Oh, this is too deep for you. I'm not going to go there then. We'll talk about things that you can handle. To the weak, I became as weak that I might gain the weak. And here it is. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So we are not just talking about in the brotherhood we're going to act this way. But when we go to the marketplace, we're going to act this way so that people who are not saved will become saved. So you see, we're going to adjust the way we address people, the way we appear to people, depending on what they expect. And we have freedom. We have liberty to do that in Christ. Always pleasant and helpful. Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, with what shall be salted is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, trampled underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. And here it is, that they may see your good works. See, you're going to be very pleasant. You're going to be very helpful. And people will see your good works. And perhaps they'll glorify God because of what they've seen. Last week we talked about this and there is a a lot in common with what we're saying this week and what we said last week. Uh, These are pictures of dad saves. Uh, In the left side, this is a dad diving over a fence because his baby has fallen into the pool. On the right-hand side, a baseball bat went flying out of the hand of a baseball player and it was just about to hit that boy in the face and his dad uh, reached out and stopped the bat from hitting his son. It was a dad save. On the bottom right-hand side, this is a toddler who's just learning to walk and his nose was that close to the pavement when his dad scooped him up just in time and no injury followed. Uh, We are Christians. We do dad saves all the time. We have to. We have to keep people from calamity and 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 we are we are motivated to do it we are we're earnest eager to do it 
And so we have to speak about the gospel often because there are so many dad saves to do. Uh, this was a picture of, uh, remember, a 14-month-old baby who had the, the little piece of strawberry in the pan. And the psychologist is acting like he can't reach it. He wants it. And the baby likes the strawberry just fine, too. So he's tempted to eat it himself. But he sees the poor guy struggling to reach it. And a 14-month baby had compassion and walked over there and picked up the strawberry and handed it to the psychologist. Even they have compassion. We have to have compassion. We're Christians. If anybody has compassion, we have to have compassion. If a 14-month-old baby sees somebody struggling and helps, how can we not have compassion? We have to be pleasant and helpful because there's so much need for a pleasant and helpful person. Proverbs 18:19 reminds us about the importance of being pleasant. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. That means once you've offended somebody, you might never be able to win back his love. Isn't that a terrible thought? Well, I didn't mean to offend him. You get one chance with some people, just one. So when you're out representing Jesus, make sure that you're very careful not to offend. There might be no way to avoid offense. But there's a big difference between the offense of the cross that we read about in the New Testament and the offense of an obnoxious person. If somebody doesn't want to be a Christian because of the offense of the cross, I can live with that. If they don't want to be a Christian because I have been offensive, I have been obnoxious, I can't live with that. So don't offend the brother. You might never get another chance. Proverbs 15, 26. The words of the pure are pleasant words. If you're a pure person, your words are pleasant. When we represent Jesus, when we tell the gospel, let us make sure that we're using pleasant words because that's what pure people do. In chapter 16, verse 21 of Proverbs, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. If you thought you just wanted to go out and blast away at everybody about the Christian faith, that's not going to work. It's the sweetness of lips that increases understanding, increases learning. Let us have sweet lips when we represent Jesus in the gospel. Proverbs 22, verse 11, He that loves pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Why will a king ever pay attention to you? Because your lips are gracious. And if your lips are toxic, pretty good bet, not a king and not anyone else will be around for very long. Rebecca Pippert, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, because she's talking about Christians being salt. She said, before I became a Christian, I remember once encountering a zealous Christian. He seemed anxious and impatient and he sounded angry. And I recall thinking, if God is so good and loving, then why is this guy so uptight? Do you come off as a good and loving person? Because you're supposed to. Later on, Rebecca Pippert did become a Christian. And uh, she had a lost person come up and talk to her. And the lost person said, my non-Christian friends accept me. They say it doesn't matter what I do. But it's only with you that I feel loved. But it's also only when I'm with you that I feel shame and remorse for what I'm doing. That's pretty perfect. They know that they're loved. And they also know that they need to get their hearts right. And that's the perfect Christian witness. Sometimes these people come around and become Christians after all. And sometimes they don't. But let them never say that they didn't feel loved when they were with you. 
they must feel loved. And last week we talked about grace and truth. And that's what's happening right here in this witness. Uh, David Sylvester talks about a man named Charlie who wanted to be a witness to his neighbor. And he asked his neighbor to come to church with him. And by the way, I hope you're asking people to come to church with you, even though since 2015 uh, we are in a hostile environment. I hope you're asking people to come to church with you. You know that is how churches grow. People are asked. And that is how people come to know Jesus so often is in a loving church community. So I hope you're asking people. Charlie invited his neighbor to church and the neighbor said, I'm sorry, but I believe that anyone interested in religion is not a thinking person and is lacking in common sense. No one in our culture would believe such a myth as Jesus Christ. Well, Charlie felt pretty sick about all of that. And that was that. Uh, One day he noticed that his friend's rain gutters were all clogged up with leaves and his friend, he knew his neighbor is afraid of ladders. And so Charlie went over there and cleaned out the guy's rain gutters. Next Sunday, that guy was in church with his family. And a short time after that, that guy became a Christian. You see, be pleasant, be helpful, because that makes the message of Jesus understandable, believable. In the early 1900s, a wealthy businessman came to Christ. He was from Texas, and he had heard uh, George Truett, pastor of First Baptist Church in Texas, which was you know, a very important church, uh, and he'd even heard D.L. Moody preach, and they had no impact on him. And here's what he says. About eight years ago, God saved my wife. I've watched now these eight years as she has been faithful to Jesus Christ in rags and in riches. <clears throat> night after night, I've watched her kneel beside our bed to pray. I've watched her putting Jesus first in every area of her life. Last night as we retired, when she kneeled to pray, I began to think of the difference between her life and mine. I got out of bed and for the first time in eight years, asked her to pray for me. Last night, by my bedside, I was led to Jesus Christ, not by D.L. Moody or George Truett, but by my wife. Sometimes it's, you know, quick. I'm going to go put my ladder up against that guy's house and clean out his gutters. Sometimes it takes eight years. Anyway, always be pleasant and helpful. Richard Sherman talks about talking to one of his neighbors one time. Her name was Debbie. And she said, I'm going to meet somebody today who will change my life forever. That's what my horoscope said. And she looked a little nervous, like I'm putting myself out there, you know, telling you this. And Richard, he said, oh, I don't believe in astrology. It's of the devil, you know which of course is true. So when somebody asks you your zodiac sign or whatever, I hope that you will have some sort of a witness to them. You don't have to say, oh, that's so cool that you're studying that. What you should perhaps say is, I'm a little uneasy with that at any rate. He says, I don't believe in astrology. It's of the devil, you know. And then Debbie was really flustered because she was putting herself out there, you know, to talk to this guy. And she said, you Christians talk about love, but you're filled with hate. Maybe you're the one who will change me forever. I'll never become a Christian. Well, Richard was thinking about that. And he realized that his response was not pleasant, was not helpful. He wasn't being kind. He was being a little defensive and a little bit like a know-it-all. And he thought about it. He said, wouldn't the Lord have wanted me to respond with something like, you know, that kind of life-changing thing happened to me. A few years ago. 
Would that not have been much better than jumping down her throat? Um, And as he thought about it, that's what he wished. Always be pleasant and helpful. Always probe for a polite opportunity to speak. Your radar as a Christian should always be up. It would be like having a cure for COVID and you decided not to tell anybody. Well, then you'd be like the federal government, right? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I just thought there needed to be kind of a joke, you know. Well, but if you had a cure for a disease and you wouldn't tell anybody, how awful would that be? You have to tell people. Well, this is a true story I read some time back about this guy who was on a boat dock, on a lounge chair, just enjoying the day. A guy just a few feet away from him who couldn't swim fell in the water. And this guy sat in his lounge chair and never moved to help. The guy actually drowned right there in his presence. And later on, onlookers and other people came and said, why didn't you help the poor guy? And the guy said, hey, there's no law that says you have to rescue people, which is true. There's no law that says you have to rescue people. But isn't that what we do as Christians sometimes? Two men were talking in a factory one time. They'd worked side by side for years. And uh, one of the guys came to church and he told his pastor, hey, do you believe it? I've been working with this guy at the factory for years and I just found out he's a Christian. Isn't that great? And the pastor said, you've been working side by side with this guy for years and you just now found out he's a Christian? No, that's not great. That's not a good job. Hopefully everybody you know knows that you're a Christian. And if somebody you know is falling off the dock, perishing, I hope that you're trying to do something about it. It's what we do. It's what we Christians have to do. In 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. We're always ready to talk about the things of God all the time. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You should be ready to talk about the gospel in the morning, in the noon, at night, at church, in the marketplace, wherever you go. Acts 8.1. Notice how ready the early church was to talk about Jesus. At that time, there's a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. As for Saul, he was injuring the church, entering into every house and hauling off men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that great? Those people went everywhere and they were always ready to tell the next person about the gospel. And that's what we have to do. We have to go everywhere ready to talk about the gospel at all times. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore having your hips belted around with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet wrapped with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have a gospel, good news of peace. And it affects us as we focus on the things that are true and lovely that God is doing in our lives, has given us. As we focus on those things, we have peace. And this wrapping of our feet with gospel shoes, it makes us mobile. And that's what's talked about in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, good news. Good news is gospel. He has beautiful feet wrapped in the gospel shoes, right? And he publishes peace. He brings good tidings of good things and publishes 
salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So you're supposed to mobilize. You have the gospel of peace, and you're supposed to move with it and tell it to everyone. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. You were examples to all who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God is spread abroad so that we don't even need to say anything. You see how that is? Those Thessalonian people had spread the gospel to everyone. And so should you. Do the people at your work know? Does your family member know how you feel about God? Have you told them? Is there some question about where you stand? 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the ones who bring the message of God to the world. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did appeal to you through us. Like we're bringing a message from God. It's a message that we're saying. It's coming through us. We implore you in Christ's place. He's not here. We're here. So we're asking you, we're begging you to be reconciled to God. This man is on the airplane. Uh, The airplane is in the process of landing. And he asked the lady next to him if this is her final destination or is she making a connection? Is she home or is she making a connection? And they chat a little bit and he initiates the conversation, right? Always be the first to say hello. Always be the first to say something nice. And uh, they talk about her job a little bit. And he asks if she goes to church anywhere, which is a very safe question. I hope you use that question. Uh, I use it all the time. Do you go to church somewhere? And she said she's a Coptic Catholic. So then he says, oh, how does a Coptic Catholic get saved? And the woman says, I've been wondering about that. (laughs) By the time the plane lands, she has already come to understand salvation is a free gift. And she's called on the Lord for just that. You see, you just have to say something. The people around you deserve to know that you have a cure for the disease that they have. You have to say something. We are given actually in Scripture five great commissions. It's one great commission said in five different ways uh, on three different occasions. The first time we have a great commission, it's on Resurrection Sunday. And the disciples are in the upper room in John chapter 20, verse 19. But Thomas isn't there. And of course, Judas is not there because he betrayed Jesus. And in this instance, uh, Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. You have to do what I do. I came telling everybody I could about the gospel. Everybody who saw me for longer than a few minutes found out that I was a Christian, that I was uh, the Messiah. And so should you have that. As the Father sent me, so send I you. The second great commission is mentioned in Matthew and Mark. In Matthew, and this is on a mountain in Galilee. And here's where the Lord says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. The Mark version of this on the mountain in Galilee says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that does not believe shall be condemned. They have to believe. You have to tell them. The third time this comes up is not on a mountain in Galilee. It's on the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. And here Jesus says to the disciples, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in 
the Lord's name, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses. Uh, you are the ones who saw it, and now you have to tell others. It continues in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And if you put all five of those passages together, all three of those commissions together, here's where we are. We're supposed to go into all the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to all ethnic groups, nations, to every creature, to preach the gospel, to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, to make and baptize disciples, and to teach everything Jesus himself once taught. That's what we do as Christians. It's what we must do. Uh, the Lord gave us those marching orders. In Ezekiel 33, verse 7, the Lord was telling Ezekiel about his new job as a prophet. He says, Son of man, I've set you as a watchman, you know, to guard the city. I've set you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. You know what I have said. Now you have to pass it on. You're the guard. Uh, Never let it be said that somebody you knew, your neighbor, your workmate, your relative, went to hell and you didn't even tell them. You didn't even try to bring up the gospel. You have to warn them. There's an ophthalmologist in Texas. His name is Jack Cooper. And he has a typical eye chart uh, in his office. But instead of it saying, as usual, you know, can you read this? E-F-P-T-O-Z, etc. It said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Can you read that? He used that sign to lead 22 people to the Lord in one month. People should know that you're a believer. Do they know? Do they know that this is important to you? Have you tried to tell them? Do you even care? Maybe if we just care, some things will shift. So always be pleasant and helpful. And always have your radar up for a polite opportunity. And then always bring each person just as far as you can. Uh, Two old friends got together for the first time in a long time. They were talking, and she said that she had heard that the, this fellow had become a Christian since they last got together. And then she tells him, I'm spiritual too. And he says, does truth matter to you? Because she said, I'm spiritual, not a Christian. And he says, does truth matter to you? And she says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Because she's had a, a, a boatload of postmodern thinking and moral relativism. And so she says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth varies from person to person and culture to culture. The man says, well, then I'm sure you'd have no problem whatsoever if someone did something terrible to you. Because it doesn't matter, right? You have your truth, I have mine. What you say is moral, I say is different. You say potato, I say rape. What's the difference? Well, this took the woman off guard because she had been through something horrible. And she was trying to hold back tears when he said this. And very sympathetically, he said, what's wrong? And she said, someone did do something terrible to me once. And he said, but why was it wrong? And she sat there trying to hold back tears, trying to figure out how her personal philosophy that there's no such thing as good or evil, right or wrong, could be reconciled with what happened to her that she considers to be terrible. She didn't know what to say. She was speechless. 
So after a while, the Christian said, let me tell you why it's wrong. It's wrong because God says so. A few days later, she called and asked how she could become a Christian like he was. You see, we are here trying to bring each person as far as we can. And he didn't see her come to know Jesus on the day of that first conversation. And that's okay. Maybe your job is just to bring somebody one step closer. And then another person will come along and bring the person another step closer. And one day maybe that person will cross the whole room. But that's not necessarily up to you. Just say something. Say something that's winsome and courteous and pleasant. Say something that has the ring of truth to it. But you don't have to bring every person the whole way to gospel salvation on your first encounter. As last week, we need to remind you not to quarrel. All of these quarreling verses that we talked about last week come into play this week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive. You must not quarrel. You don't argue somebody into heaven. That's just not going to happen. Don't quarrel. Titus 3.10, A divisive person after the first and second admonition, reject. Don't quarrel. You've said your point. You've clarified it. The first admonition and the second admonition, you've clarified it. Now you're done. Don't press. Don't quarrel. Matthew 7, 6, don't cast your pearls before a swine because they'll just trample your pearls. They don't care. And then they tear you to pieces. Just don't do it. Matthew 10, 14, if they won't receive you, you just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next person because somebody else might be more receptive to your gospel witness. Philippians 2, 14, again, do all things without disputings. We're not arguers. Christians don't argue. You have to be pleasant. You just bring each person as far as you can. And there's no pressure that you have to bring them all the way to Jesus. You just do your part. Bring each person as far as you can. Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Just be a peacemaker. You don't have to uh, argue and press the point. 1 Peter 3, 10, he that will love life and see good days, let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace. Don't be hard to get along with. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we want to be. James 3.14, if you have bitter envying and strife, don't think you're doing a good job as a gospel witness. Envying and strife doesn't come from God's wisdom above. It's earthly, sensual, and demon-like. Don't say, wasn't it great that I stood on the street corner and called all the women whores and called all the men homosexuals. Wasn't that great? Like, no, that's earthly, sensual, and demon-like. It's not how we do it. First Peter 3.8 Have compassion for people. Love people. Be courteous. You haven't been a gospel witness at all if you haven't been courteous. Ephesians 4.15 Speak the truth. Yes, the truth, but in love. Second Corinthians 6.4 The servants of God have love unpretended and they speak the word of truth. Both. Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ for sure, with grace in our hearts. Bill Fay, before he became a Christian, was a very wealthy man. He was raised in a wealthy family. He cheated his way through college. He became the CEO of a big company that made lots of money, uh, specifically an immoral escort service, prostitution service. He had mafia connections, 
Uh, he had been divorced three times. And he recalls what it was like before he became a Christian and how certain people would come up to him and try to tell him about the gospel. And he pretended he was bulletproof. I don't need to hear any of that. I'm not interested. Bulletproof. Well, then he did become a Christian. And he talked about what it was like when these people would approach him with the gospel. He said, I sent these people away discouraged because I either insulted them, antagonized them, or persecuted them. And if they walked away from me believing that they had failed, they believed a lie. For I never forgot the name, the face, the person, or the words anyone who ever told me about Jesus. Isn't that something? You think, well, that gospel witness didn't work. You know, maybe I should have argued more. Maybe I should have been more forceful. Maybe I didn't do it just right. Just be pleasant. Bring every person as far as you can. And in Bill Fay's experience, every single one of those gospel witnesses would have walked away feeling discouraged. And yet every single one of them was having an impact. And you can do this too. Jesus said in John 15, and I've always loved this, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. What exactly could we ever do in life that will remain? Some of you know I've remodeled a house a time or two. I have rebuilt engines and remodeled or renovated some vehicles. But all of that just goes away. After 10 years, you're doing it all over again. So what is it that you could ever do in your life that would last, that would bring lasting difference, lasting fruit? And the answer is, you could build lives. You could show people how to go to heaven. And you could help them have eternal reward when they get to heaven. That's the fruit that never goes away. And that's what Jesus says. I have chosen you so that you could have fruit, fruit that never goes away. That's gospel witness. So here's our conclusion. Should I speak about the gospel often and with intensity? Yes. But here's how you do that. Always be pleasant and helpful. Because if you haven't been pleasant, you have not well represented the Savior. And always have your radar up for a polite opportunity to speak. There is no law that says you have to rescue a dying person. But what kind of a Christian would you be? If you didn't even try, you should always be ready. And last of all, just bring each person as far as you can. Say, well, he didn't become a Christian. Well, he didn't become a Christian that day. You just bring each one as far as you can. No pressure. Just do the right thing today, this moment, and we'll see what happens in the future. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? Just before I lead in public prayer, can I give you a chance to examine your own heart And to ask yourself, if there's anybody in your orbit, is there somebody you know who might wonder if you're a Christian? Maybe they don't even know. Maybe you haven't even tried to tell them the importance of the gospel to you. And if the Lord brings anybody to your mind right now, I hope that you'll resolve with the Lord right now to try to connect with that person on the gospel. Lord, we do earnestly wish to have fruit, that lasts forever. And we do earnestly wish that the people of goodwill around us, our loved ones, people that we have something in common with, that they'll be able to spend eternity with us in heaven. 
And we ask that even this week, wherever we go, we'll be the first ones to speak, the first ones to reach out, the first ones to mention something about the gospel. If you give us a chance, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.